You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you, choir. We're going to have to get Ronnie an underground tunnel. <laughs> to go back and forth from the choir to the sound booth. Uh, I appreciate a guy that just wants to sing the choir so bad that he'll just do anything to get there. <laughs> he told me to just shoot the breeze for just a minute till he gets the tape started. And now I've shot the breeze for a minute. So let's open our, our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I feel a little bit like I've just kind of blown in from the outer limits this morning. Um, last Sunday, I had this message prepared, ready to preach Saturday when we went to the hospital and uh, figured that it probably would not work out where I was going to be able to be here Sunday morning. And so I called James Lewis at the last minute and he graciously accepted the responsibility of preaching. And so James preached last, last Sunday morning and, and this week with the new baby and things that have been happening, I just feel like I've kind of been out of pocket and out of the saddle a little bit. And so, um, I feel like I've kind of just kind of blown in from, from somewhere out in outer space. So you pray for me this morning as we get into this message this morning. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, and we are just about to wrap this thing up. Uh, it's just going to be a couple of more weeks, and we're going to finish with the book of Ephesians. And I have been challenged and have been uh, just blessed of God as I've studied this great book. The book of Ephesians is all about the wealth of the Christian, the spiritual riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's been a very challenging study for me as we've been preaching through it. And I trust and I hope that it's been equally as challenging for you and as uplifting as it has been for me. And I, I almost am reluctant to stop. In fact, I'm tempted maybe just to even go back and start again because there's so much that we haven't touched in this book as we've studied through it. We would be years studying through the book of Ephesians if we covered all of the bases that Paul deals with in this great book. But we're going to wrap it up within the next few weeks. I'm going to begin this morning a three-part message to finish the, the book of Ephesians. And it's going to be in the overall title of Spiritual Warfare. You see, that's really what the sixth chapter is all about in the book of Ephesians. It's about our spiritual warfare. And there's so much there that there's no way that I would possibly be able to finish it before 12 o'clock when this stage collapses. And so I just decided that we better split it up into about three different parts and deal with it for, for three different weeks. We are involved, God's Word says, in spiritual warfare. It is a worldwide war. It is a spiritual war. And the Scripture says that this war, this battle that we're involved in, is a battle to the death. You see, the Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life, the Scripture says, is a battleground. Yes, we are called to be sons and servants of God, but also we are called to be soldiers of God, enlisted into the army of God, involved in this thing called spiritual battle. And we as God's people need to be informed and we need to be willing to go out and enter into the battle. You see, many Christians don't understand that aspect of the Christian life. 
They don't understand that the Christian life is, in fact, a war. It is a spiritual war. And so they live their lives in defeat. Because, you see, if you don't know there's a war going on, then you're not going to show up for the battle and you're going to lose by default. And many of us, I'm afraid, have done that in our Christian lives. I've never in my ministry preached a message about Satan. I never have. This is the first time that I've ever done anything like this and probably to my own personal discredit. We in our society and in many churches today have relegated any talk about Satan to the non-intellectuals. We have d kind of come up with this attitude and devil are talking about Satan is somehow not an intellectual subject and it kind of belongs in those backwood churches. Well, I guess we're almost a backwood church still out here, but it belongs in the hills of Tennessee or Kentucky somewhere uh, where folks don't have much education, and, and, and all of that has come down from our humanistic kind of philosophy that has infiltrated not only our schools but our churches, and, and we, you and I are affected in every area of our lives by that kind of idea. And so we have relegated most of the talk about the devil, the demonic, about Satan, to the extremists and the fanatics. But I want to say to you this morning, folks, that God's Word says very clearly that Satan is real. He is real. He is powerful. And we as God's people must be aware. We must be informed about who he is. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to the Corinthians, he says, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices in order that we might not be taken advantage of by Satan. But you see, in point of fact, many of us are ignorant about the evil one. We are ignorant about his, his ways. We are ignorant about what the Scripture says about him. And so that is exactly what he has been able to do. He has been able to take advantage of us and defeat us in our Christian walk. We need to be informed about the evil one, about who he is. But let me say very quickly that there are two extremes that people can go to when they begin to talk about the demonic, when they begin to talk about the devil and about Satan. The first extreme that people can go to is to completely ignore him. There are those people who just completely ignore the devil. They might say that they believe in his reality, but they say it's not our place and it's not our, our task to begin to talk about him and to study about him. Let's just focus our eyes upon Jesus and forget about Satan. Well, folks, we do need to focus our eyes upon Jesus, but we had better not ignore the evil one because God's word says we are not to be ignorant about him. That's the first extreme. We need definitely to, to avoid that extreme of completely ignoring him. But the second extreme is equally to be avoided. The second extreme is to become obsessed with the things of Satan, with the demonic powers that are in our world. When someone becomes obsessed with the evil one, they begin to look for a demon behind every door. Now, if I were to take that attitude, I would say there's a demon in this sound system because every time that we get somebody up here to sing, it seems like something goes haywire with the thing. It goes crazy. Well, that's the extreme that some people have gone to in thinking about this thing of the evil one of Satan. When their car breaks down, they say, well, a demon did it. A demon's in my engine. Or uh, when they stump their toe, they say, well, a demon made me stump my toe. You know, how ridiculous and how foolish the scripture never talks about anything like that. That is an unhealthy obsession with the demonic, with the satanic. Somewhere, God's people need to get into the middle. 
We need to get into the middle and be informed about the evil one, understand the power that God has given us over him, understand how powerful he is, and the fact that we are involved in spiritual warfare, and then put our eyes upon Jesus and get involved in the battle that is raging. So today, I want us to talk about our adversary. You see, if we are in fact in a war, if we're involved in a battle, then we need to know something about our enemy. It's kind of difficult to do battle, to do warfare with an enemy that you know nothing about. And so we need to understand what God's Word says about our enemy, about the adversary, the devil, as we get into this thing about spiritual warfare. Now, if you just hear this today, if you just hear this first message, and you miss next week and the next week when I wrap it up, then you're only going to get one-third of the story. Because today we're going to deal with our adversary, we're going to talk about him, but then next week we're going to deal about our armor. God's Word says not only is he a powerful adversary, but we as God's people have the power of God and we are able to put on the armor of God and the things that we wear in order to go into spiritual battle. And then the next week, the last week, we're going to talk about our action, how we do spiritual battle, how we do spiritual warfare with the evil one. So I hope that you will plan to be a part of all three of these messages so you can get the whole total ball of wax. But today, we're just going to deal with the adversary. So let's read chapter 6, just verses 10 through 13. Because in verse 14 through, uh, through 17, it talks about our armor. And then in verse 18, it talks this morning, just verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So what does Paul say about our adversary with, it, with whom we're involved in this spiritual battle? I want to give you three things that Paul says in these verses this morning. And these are by far, not all, but three things that we can kind of hang our hats on and begin to get an understanding. First of all, Paul says that our adversary, the devil, in this spiritual warfare is subtle. He is subtle. Look in verse 11, what Paul says. He says, put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Paul says that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. In other words, Paul is saying that the evil one, the one that we battle against, is subtle. He is a schemer. He is the master of deceit and trickery. You see, rarely when Satan does battle with God's people, will he... Uh, do battle in an overt kind of fashion. You see, he is the master of subtlety, and he is the master of covert maneuvers in this warfare that we're involved in. What I'm saying is that he is very subtle. If he were to appear here today, and let's pray that he does not, but if he were to appear here today, he would not appear in red underwear, okay? Now, get that down. He would not appear with horns. He wouldn't have a pointed tail and a pitchfork. That is a medieval, is that how you say that word? That is a medieval picture of the evil one that grossly distorts what God's word 
says about Satan, the evil one. He is not so foolish as to appear in such an overt fashion. He is very subtle. He never appears in that form or in that fashion. He does it with scheming and with trickery and with deceit. When the evil one comes to do battle, listen to this, this is important. He always comes as an angel of light. The scripture says that he disguises himself as someone that is harmless, as something that is good. He is very subtle. I heard one preacher that said it this way. He said the evil one makes sin appealing and attractive. He fascinates and then he assassinates. He delights and then he destroys. Dr. R.G. Lee, one of our great Southern Baptist pastors of years gone by, said it this way in a way that only he could. He said, you can eat the devil's corn, but he'll choke you on the cob every time. You can eat the devil's corn, but he'll choke you on the cob every time. He is a schemer. He is subtle. He is a master of trickery and deceit. And I think one of the evil one's probably most subtle schemes and most subtle ploys that he uses today among God's people is to cause us to even doubt his very existence. How many of you are listening this morning, and at one time or another, or even maybe right now, if you really got gut-level honest, really and truly have a sincere question if there is a real and a literal devil. I think that's one of his greatest ploys, is to cause us to question his very existence. Because, you see, if we doubt whether he is real or not, if, if he can cause us to doubt if he is even a, a real character then we're not going to see much need for showing up for the battle. And as I said a moment ago, if we don't see that there's a need to go into battle, then we're going to lose the battle by default. And many of God's people have in their Christian walks fallen into that trap of even ignoring the evil one and even questioning and doubting if he even exists. Many people today look at that medieval picture of Satan that was painted by uh, Milton, I suppose. He was probably the first one in Paradise Lost. That picture of the, the, the horns and the pitchfork and the red underwear and the pointed tail and many people in our sophisticated intellectual society look at that kind of picture and they say, well, I don't believe in that, therefore I must not. And you see, that suits him just fine. That suits him just fine if you deny his very existence because if you don't believe that he exists, then you'll see no need to be involved in spiritual warfare with him. Not only does he use the subtle ploy of causing us to question his very existence, but I believe that probably his most clear evidence of the subtlety of the evil one is his use of religion. The evil one's use of religion gives us a more clear picture of his subtlety than any other thing that I can think of. You see, much of what is flying under the banner of Jesus today, much of what is flying under the banner of religion is not of God. Just because something has the stamp of religion on it, that does not mean that it is of God. Much of what is flying under the very banner of the cross in our day and time is something that is being used as a tool and a ploy of the evil one, whether those, those individuals are wittingly followers of the evil one, or if they are unwittingly being used by him for his purposes, he uses much today that flies under the banner of Christianity and of religion. Do you know that the evil one has his preachers? The evil one has his preachers today. Every single Sunday, there will be men 
and women who will stand in pulpits around our country and around our world as ministers of the gospel, as preachers of God's word, and they will be used of the evil one. They will be used of the one who comes as an angel of light because what they are preaching and what they are teaching is not the truth of the word of God. Therefore, they have become his instruments. It's always been so, even since the time of Jesus. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll just do a little Bible drilling here for just a moment uh, as we look up this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 11. I want you to read a few verses with me. Verses 13 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to this Christian church in the city of Corinth. Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians and hang a right and you're there, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 15. He's been talking about false prophets, people that sow seeds of dissension and untruth. And then he says in verse 13, For such men are false apostles. They are deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, listen what Paul says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their deeds. You see, his greatest disguise, his greatest ploy is the use of what flies under the banner of religion in our day. This is how it happens. Someone begins to cast a question about the full reliability of the Word of God. I believe that's the battle that we're fighting today more than any other battle on the spiritual level and the spiritual plane. Not only Southern Baptists are fighting this battle, folks. Christians around the world are fighting this battle for the reliability, the full infallibility of God's holy and precious Word. But what the evil one does is he allows someone he puts someone into a position, he allows someone into a position where they begin to cast question upon the full reliability of the Word of God. And from that point, it's not a very far step. It's not very far that you have to go before that individual begins to deny all of the basic truths of the Scriptures. You see, when you begin to open the door for questioning if God's Word is fully and completely reliable, then it's not a very far step from that point than when you can begin to deny basically everything that God's Word teaches that you don't want to accept and don't want to hold on to. There are preachers that are preaching this morning, right now, who deny the full and complete deity of the that. They'll deny that, that God's Word teaches that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. What they'll say is that we need to get back to the historical Jesus, that the real historical Jesus was just a good man. He was a good prophet. He said good things. He did good things. But through the, the years that followed after the crucifixion of Jesus, then the church began to build up all of these myths around Jesus and begin to say that he was God. They begin to say that he was resurrected from the tomb, that he was God's son, that he was actually God in the flesh. And so they say that what we have in the New Testament, in the gospel account, is not the historical Jesus, but we have the Jesus of the New Testament church, and that we need to get back to the historical Jesus who was nothing more than a mere man. And it sounds good. It sounds intellectual. It sounds historical, but it is a tool and a ploy of the evil one to cast question upon the word of God. There are those who stand in pulpits today who deny the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus. They'll say that's another thing that the church came up with in the century after the death of Jesus. Not only his virgin birth, they, 
deny his vicarious death for you and me. They deny his victorious resurrection and his visible return that is going to happen. They deny all of that, but do it under the guise of Christianity and under the guise of religion. Do you see what I'm saying? Satan is subtle. He is subtle. He is a schemer. There are those that, that teach today a brand of Christianity that says that salvation is by the goodness of man instead of the grace of God. They'll say that all you must be is a good person and that certainly you'll gain salvation when God's word says that salvation is totally and completely of the grace from the hand of a graceful and a loving God. And thousands upon thousands are deceived by the evil one as he appears as an angel of light. Emissaries of Satan appearing as angels of light, flying beneath the banner of religion. You see, Satan is not choosy what it takes to defeat you. It's the end result that counts to him. And I know that, that this morning, some of you hearing this become confused a little bit, and you may even become a little frightened. There's no need to be frightened. But you might become a little bit confused and saying, if that is true, how in the world do we ever tell the difference? How in the world can we ever tell the difference? The Word of God gives us the answer. Let's do a little more Bible drill. First John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and just read the first three verses of that chapter with me. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what the Apostle John said about that, about telling the difference. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, there it is, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. How do you tell if you are confronting one of these angels of light? How are you, are, can you tell if you are, are involved with someone or something that is not of God, but it actually is a ploy of the evil one? This is how. Find out what they believe about Jesus. Find out what they believe about Jesus. And if they deny what the Word of God says about Jesus, about his his, his vicarious death for you and me, his victorious resurrection, his promise of his coming visible return of the fact that he was in fact God in the flesh, then mark them off, they are not of God. Find out what they believe about Jesus. Find out what they believe about the infallible word of God. And if they deny anything that God's word says, then mark them off, they are not of God. That does not mean that they are are demons or anything like that. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Paul is saying. That it, he, what, he, what, he, what Paul said in that passage we read a moment ago is that there are those who unwittingly fall into the hands of the evil one, thinking that they are serving the risen God when they are not. And it's a very dangerous thing. So John says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. And if they do not confess Jesus, find out what they believe about Jesus. You see, God's word stands as it is. There's no negotiation about God's word. I just don't believe there is. I just don't believe there's any word says about itself 
about the Father, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about you and me as God's people, about how we are to gain salvation through grace and not by goodness. There's no negotiation. There are, nego- no, there are no negotiating planks in those areas. And once we begin to negotiate with the evil one, then we are bound to lose. I heard the story of a hunter and a bear. Hunter wanted to, to get a fur coat. And so he got his, his, his bear rifle and he went out into the woods to find him a bear, to shoot a bear and to get his bear coat. And sure enough, not long after he found himself out in the woods, he came face to face with a big old grizzly. And so he raises his rifle and he begins to bear down on the sights and he's just about to pull the trigger and shoot that big old grizzly bear when that grizzly bear speaks up and says, now wait a minute, Mr. Hunter, wait a minute, let's, let's talk about this. Let's be reasonable here. Uh, let's negotiate about this thing just a little bit. Uh, I mean, after all, I'm just out here looking for a meal and you're just out here looking for a fur coat. And so we ought to be able to sit down as two reasonable uh, individuals and talk this thing out and negotiate this thing and work out a plan whereby both of us can get what we want. And the hunter said, well, that, that sounds pretty good. And so the bear said, well, why don't you just set your gun aside there and we'll sit down here and we'll talk about it and we'll negotiate. And so he set his gun down and, and they sat down and they talked. And sure enough, when it was all over with, the bear got his meal and the hunter got his fur coat. You see, there aren't any negotiating planks with the evil one. You don't sit down and negotiate with him about the word of God. You don't sit down and negotiate with him about Jesus. You don't negotiate with the evil one because he'll win if you negotiate. There are no salt talks with Satan. He is subtle. He uses it as a disguise. He comes as an angel of light. He'll cause us to try to question his reality. And then... He'll begin to cause us to question the Word of God, the infallible Word of God. Well, let's get off of that. He is subtle, but not only is he subtle, but Paul says he is spiritual as well. Satan is spiritual. Look in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Listen, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Listen, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against spiritual forces in in heavenly places. In other words, Satan is in spiritual form. It would be easy to do battle with him if he were in physical form the way that you and I are. But he is a spiritual being. He is in spiritual form. Now, some think that everything that is spiritual is good. Not so. John said, test the spirits to see if they are from God. In other words, there is a spirit that not, is not from God. It is the spirit of Antichrist. It is the spirit of Satan. So Satan is not only subtle, but he is spiritual. Now listen, if he is spiritual, if he is spiritual in form, then that tells us something about how we are to battle him, doesn't it? If he were in the flesh, then that would tell us that we could do fleshly battle with him. But because Paul says he is a spiritual being, that means that we must do battle with him in the spiritual realm. Now, if I were to get into a fight with you, and I have gotten into a few fights with a few of you, not physical fights, but if I were to get into a physical fight with you, hey, that was a joke, okay? (laughs) All right, now you're awake. If I were to get into a physical fight with you, you would lose. No, what would determine if you won or if you lost? What would be determine which one of us came out the winner in that physical battle? It would be the one that was the strongest. 
It would be the one that was the fastest, the one that could throw the hardest punch would be the one that would ultimately win that physical battle. But you see, that's not the way that we do battle with the evil one. It would be easy if that was the kind of battle that we do with him. But because he is spiritual, then we must do spiritual battle. We must do battle in the spiritual realm. Jesus illustrated that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. This is often a much misunderstood passage of Scripture. And we're not going to get into all of it, but I want you to, to see it. And I want us to see it as an illustration of what I'm saying, that we must do spiritual battle with a spiritual Satan. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. We'll back up a little bit and read a couple of verses before we get to verse 23. From that time, Jesus Christ began to sh and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus is beginning to teach his disciples what's going to happen to him. He's going to be tried. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to be resurrected on the third day. But they didn't want to hear that. And so Peter, in verse 22, Peter took him aside and said, Hey, wait a minute, Jesus. And he says, he began to rebuke him. Can you imagine Peter is rebuking Jesus? And he says, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And notice what Jesus said in verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but upon man's. Now, what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus calling Peter Satan? Obviously not. What is Jesus doing? He is recognizing that the source of Peter's statement was not Peter in the flesh, but was the evil one himself. And so Jesus bypasses Peter and goes right to the source and speaks to Satan. And he says, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not set upon the things of God, but the things of the flesh. Jesus goes into spiritual battle. Because Satan is spiritual, we must do battle with him on the spiritual plane and on the spiritual level. Now listen, let me explain to you how that happens within the church within the body of Christ, because we've got to get practical. We've got to bring it down to where you and I live. This is how it worked within the church. When the people of God are on the verge of doing something great for the kingdom of God, I believe that the evil one begins to step up the intensity of the battle. I believe that we are on the verge of being at that point. I believe that we are right on the very verge, right at the very precipice of being a people of God that is going to accomplish some great things in the kingdom of God. And so it should come no, to no, as, as no surprise to us that the evil one is going to step up the intensity of the battle to attempt to sow seeds of dissension, discouragement, and defeat among the people of God in this place. Sometimes I fight the battle so hard all week long with discouragement and with defeat that, that the evil one attacks me in my spirit because I believe that we are on the very verge of doing something great and mighty for the kingdom of God in this community. And so the evil one begins to try to sow seeds of dissension within the, within the body of Christ. This is how he does it. Someone lets their guard down. Someone begins to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. Begins to live and to think and to talk in the flesh and not in the spirit. When you do that, then you become vulnerable to his attacks. Someone then says something to you or does something that you don't particularly like and you get your feelings hurt or you get your dander up a little bit and you get a little bit ticked off and you begin to pity yourself somewhat 
And if you respond in the flesh, now listen, if you respond in the flesh, you have just entered into battle. You have just, you have just come to the crossroads of making the decision. Now, am I going to do fleshly battle or am I going to do spiritual battle? And if you respond in the flesh, this is what you'll do. You'll respond with a cutting remark or you'll respond with a slanderous statement. You'll respond with something that is pointed at the individual, that is pointed at the person, and you will be doing fleshly battle, and the evil one will sit back and laugh because he has accomplished what he set out to accomplish. He has succeeded. Now, if you are going to do spiritual battle, you will do what Jesus did. You will look beyond the person, and you will look to the source of the problem. You will look to the source himself, which is the evil one, and you will attack the source and not the person. You will attack the evil one and do spiritual battle. You'll do battle in the spiritual realm through prayer, through the word of God, through a spirit of humility, through a spirit of love, through a spirit of forgiveness as, as you enter into the realm of spiritual battle. You'll take up the full armor of God and you'll not attack the person, but you'll attack the source of the dissension which is behind the person, as Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Do you understand what I'm saying? More churches, more churches have been halted on the verge of being used of God by the tongue than any other instrument. And when we don't live and walk and think in the Spirit of God, but we begin to walk in the flesh, to let the desires of the flesh take over, then Satan begins to sow those seeds of dissension among the people of God. And then when we respond in the flesh instead of in the spirit, he sits back and he laughs because he has accomplished his task. What could have been a spiritual victory becomes a spiritual defeat for the people of God. We must do battle with the evil one in the spirit because he is spiritual in form. And so are our weapons. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. Did you hear that? We walk in the flesh, but we don't do battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. We've got to go on before the stage collapses. Satan is subtle. Satan is spiritual. We fight him in the spiritual realm, not in the realm of the flesh. Remember that, child of God, this week, when you are tempted to begin to walk in the flesh and respond in the flesh, when someone says something that hurts or something happens that hurts you, do battle on the spiritual realm with the Word of God, through prayer, with the Spirit of God, and not with the same kind of response. Thirdly, he is savage, and we'll close with this. He is subtle. He is spiritual. Third, he is savage. Verse 12. I'm still in Matthew. Got to get back to Ephesians. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Listen to that. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What a description. Paul says we struggle against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness. It's not a very pretty description, is it? But neither is Satan a very pretty one to describe. Because the scripture calls him the devil. That means accuser in the original language. Calls him Satan. That means a slanderer. 
It calls him the tempter, the murderer, and the liar. Peter, in trying to describe the evil one, said he is like a roaring lion that roams back and forth to and fro from the ends of the earth seeking someone to devour, to tear them from limb to limb. He is a savage enemy. He is very subtle. He is spiritual, but he is also a very savage enemy. Satan is no joke, in other words, and our battle with him is neither a joke. Verse 12, Paul mentions that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and the word that he uses there in the original language is an interesting word, is a word that was used of the wrestling matches in the ancient world, and their wrestling matches were somewhat different than ours. Ours are, the object is to pin someone's shoulders down to the, to the mat, or in the case of uh, world-class wrestling to throw them out of the ring onto the concrete or something, uh, but to pin their shoulders down to the bottom of the mat for a period of a, of a, of a count of eight or ten or whatever it is. And it's very uh, mundane. It's very harmless in comparison to the, the wrestling matches of the ancient world. And this word that Paul uses for struggle is a word that would refer to those wrestling matches because, you see, the object of a wrestling match in the ancient world was not just to pin someone's shoulders, but was to subdue the opponent and strangle the life out of him. They wrestle to the death. Their fight was a fight to the death. And that's what Paul is saying, that our fight is a fight to the death. We fight a savage foe, and we are involved in a spiritual battle, and it is a battle over life and death. And what makes Satan so dangerous, what makes him so savage, is that he's already lost the battle, and he knows it. He's like a wounded animal. You know, there's nothing that's more savage, there's nothing that's more dangerous than a wounded animal. You see, judgment has already been passed upon him by the Father. And sentence is just waiting to be carried out until that final judgment day. And like he was wounded at the cross, he was condemned at the resurrection too. And God, the Father, is going to pass final sentence at the coming of Jesus. We're involved in spiritual battle, folks. We're involved in a, a worldwide battle. It is a battle to the death. We cannot ignore it. It is a spiritual battle. We fight a subtle foe. We fight a spiritual foe. Therefore, we must do battle on the spiritual realm. But we also fight a savage enemy. And his desire is, if he cannot destroy your salvation, his desire is to destroy your victory in life. Some of you here today are fighting a spiritual battle right here this morning, right this very moment, are fighting a spiritual battle. And that battle is raging within your heart and within your mind because you have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Master. And this morning, the Spirit of God is calling you, is drawing you unto himself. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And the Father is drawing you. The Spirit of God is drawing you unto himself. But at that same time, there is a battle that is raging because the evil one wants you to say no. And he is saying no. And he's planting those seeds of doubt. He's planting those seeds of question, those seeds of fear. And he would love nothing more than to have you leave this place this morning having rejected Jesus as Lord and Master. And there's a spiritual battle that is going on in your heart, in your life right now. Some of you who already are saved, you already know Jesus as Savior. You're fighting spiritual battle today. There's a sin in your life that your flesh is saying to hold on to 
And the evil one is saying, hold on to it. It won't hurt you. It's a subtle, it's a disguised ploy that he uses. But the Spirit of God is saying, get it right. The Spirit of God is saying, put it out of your life. There's no room for it in the life of the child of God. And you're involved in spiritual battle. Whatever the area of the battle, whatever the area in your life that is going on, it is a spiritual battle. And you must do, do battle on the spiritual realm. And that's what I want us to do right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's enter into the battle. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Right where we are, with just our heads bowed, we're going to enter into the realm of spiritual warfare through prayer. Ultimately, week after next, in verse 18, I'm going to say that's where the battle is won or lost, is in prayer, because that's what Paul says. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Master, to do spiritual battle right now. The Spirit of God is drawing you unto Himself, and the evil one is saying no, planting those seeds of doubt, those seeds of question. And I'm going to ask you just to ask the Spirit of God to have His way in your heart this morning. And I'm going to ask you, the Spirit of God is asking you to say yes to Jesus in a moment when we have a time of invitation. We're going to give you the opportunity to come and say, I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Master. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. And I, I'm going to invite you to come. The Spirit of God is going to invite you to come and say yes to Jesus. Some of you are fighting the spiritual battle in some area of your life. Fight it in prayer. Don't fight it with the flesh. Claim it in the name of Jesus, God's power over that sin in your life, and get it right. And just put it aside. You nail down the stake this morning. Do spiritual battle. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Father, for your word. We're challenged by your word. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the promise that we can stand firm, that we have victory in Jesus over the, the, the enemy over the evil one. This morning, Father, I pray that spiritual victory would be won in the hearts and the lives of everyone that's here that's fighting that spiritual battle, whether it be a battle of salvation, be a battle of righteousness and holiness, of living for you in a real and a vital way. And we give it to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with us. Take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 375.